Find your next fall adventure in Fairfax County at the National Museum of United States Army. Take a turn on the tank simulator. Feel your seat rumble in their 300-degree theater. Then step outside to enjoy the fall colors from their outdoor dining area and rooftop Medal of Honor garden. Discover your fall adventure at the National Army Museum. Open seven days a week. Free admission and parking right off I-95. Get free tickets at usarmymuseum.org. Thank you for joining us. You are listening to a ministry of Crossview Church with Pastor Kevin Hardcastle. All right, so great to have you guys here this morning. Open your Bibles to the book of Philippians chapter 2. We're going to read there in just a few minutes. Uh, so excited that you're here with us today. Thank you for joining us for worship. We appreciate you. We appreciate uh, your, your taking of your time to be here with us. Those of you online, thanks for joining us as well. Uh, we always have a great time learning more about God's Word. I don't know about you, but I have enjoyed so far this study as we've just been going through verse by verse what Paul was writing in this amazing letter to this church in Philippi and what he was trying to say to them to encourage them. Because remember, all of you can attest to this, we don't live in the most encouraging times. In fact, uh, the title of this series is called Overwhelmed. And I don't know about you, but I've had moments of being overwhelmed over the last several months. I've had moments where anxiety has been high, where questions about future have arose, where doubts have even come into my head about, God, are you really able to do great things even in our time and place in which we live? And so this series just kind of unfolded before us and is unfolding before us, it seems like every week, with some truth that we can take with us to help us navigate this very unusual but not unprecedented time. Can I say that again? Human and mankind have been through these things in the past, and they have overcome, and we will overcome as well. And all the church says, we will overcome because he is for us, he is with us, and even though we may go through hard times, and even though we may face doubts, we may face sickness, we may face all kinds of these things that are around us, we will know that our God is fully and always in control. So we're learning over this series how we can deal with sometimes feeling overwhelmed in life, dealing with stress, dealing with anxiety, how to deal with anxiety, how to handle people when they get on your everlast nerve, how to handle your kids when they get on your nerves. Your spouse has been in the house far too long. You know, how do you deal with being overwhelmed with different things in different places in our life? And in the book of Philippians, Paul is teaching us how to live an overcoming life, not a happy life. If you ask an average young person, or I would say an average American, what's your goal for life? What do you want for your life? They say, I just want to be happy. I just want to be happy. I want to find a, someone to love me, and I want to love them back. And we want to buy a house with a white picket fence, and we want to have, uh, we have, want to have a two-car garage. Uh, we want to have uh, two-and-a-half kids, because uh, that's the statistic. I don't know where the half is, but it's scary. Don't know if it's top half or bottom half, but somewhere there's a half a kid somewhere in your house. Two and a half kids. Um, I want to have all this stuff. And when I get all that, I will be happy. And I don't know about you, I've had that. And I haven't been happy at times, right? Because with the cars come the debt. And with the house comes the mortgage. And with the mortgage and when the kids come the clothes, and comes the school, and comes now, them possibly being in your mortgage payment house, that is your school. God help us know, but it could be. 
And so we, we have these overwhelming places, and, and Paul tries to teach us through the book of Philippians not about being happy. In fact, he doesn't even talk about happiness. You know, biblically, happiness is not our goal. It's joy. Joy is our goal. Joy is an internal peace, contentment, relaxed perspective of God. Joy is the place that God wants us to reside, even though the world is falling apart around us. We can still live with joy. We can still have this joy. Now, that means that when circumstance come, can you be sad? Sure, you can be sad, and sure, you can be kind of overwhelmed by it. But remember who holds the circumstance in his hands. God is our victory. And if we trust him, he'll navigate us through these very questionable times. Not unprecedented. They will happen. And let me tell you something. They will happen again. Another situation will come up. Something else will come. Now, listen, don't say, our pastor prophesied. I ain't prophesied nothing. I'm telling you, it's history. It's happened, okay? We, we sit back sometimes. We go, well, you know, we haven't had anything happen for a long time. So everybody's sometimes, some people are looking for when the, ball, when the, the bottom's going to fall out. And other people are saying, well, that's never going to happen. Listen, it's going to happen. It's not about that. Listen, what we face as Americans is nothing to what other people face around the world. We must understand that joy is the goal and the end, it's the, it's the completion of what God wants us to have. So in the book of Philippians, we are going to learn how to handle conflict. We're going to learn, we've learned how to handle conflict. We'll learn how to handle other people, how to deal with relationships. We're going to learn how to find satisfaction, how to overcome and deal with stress. We're going to learn all these things. Today, though, in our passage today, look at Philippians chapter 2. We're going to look at verse 14 and 15 in just a minute. Today's topic, as you see, is how to conquer complaining. Now, I know what just happened right now. Some of you are complaining about this message. <laughs> You're saying, oh, oh, great. He's talking to me. Some of you are, are, are like, I'm, you know, I don't even know if I want to listen to this. Listen, how many guys would just admit, just by a show of hands, how many guys would just admit nothing is like the greatest, biggest killjoy than someone who is a constant everlasting complainer. They just complain all the time. I mean, just can't stand being around a complainer. Oh, others of you love it. Okay, very good. You must live with one. Okay. You must be married to one. You don't want to admit it. Uh, but we, we all, all of us struggle with this. I know that uh, complaining can almost be, some of you would say, I mean, there's some people that are just naturally negative. They're just naturally negative people. They see the glass half empty all the time, and they're just pessimistic people, and, and they're just depressing. I mean, it's just hard to be around a person that always complains about nothing. I mean, the seriously, the, um, uh, what was it, the uh, Goldilocks complex, uh, the porridge is too hot. Is that right? The porridge is too cold. I got the right nursery rhyme. The bed is too hard. The bed is too just always never quite right. You know who these people are. Don't look at them. Don't point at them. Don't even act like you know who they are. But these are the people when you go to a restaurant, they will find something wrong with a restaurant every time you go. Not enough ice in my cup. Didn't fill it up quick enough. The meal comes out. It's cold. Uh, not enough. This, this is my complaint. Not enough chicken nuggets on my meal. You know, come on. Three of those little puny guys don't count it. That's not, that's a niblet. That's not a nugget. Give me something worth getting, you know? It's, and and uh, yeah, so, I mean, just all these things. I mean, Michelle and I, we had a chance to go out and have dinner last night, and we, we went and ate for the first time in months. It was, it was going to be so good. We went to Roadhouse, Texas Roadhouse in Quincy, and uh, story's not over yet, though. Hear the rest of it. So as we're sitting there, we order, we, you know, we get our food. First thing you want, what do you want? You want the, the rolls, right? The rolls. Get the rolls out here. Stat, right? That, I mean, come on. That's why we're here. We're here for the free rolls and butter. Yeah, that's all we want. And so, you know, first off, we sit down. They don't bring the rolls. No rolls. 
We're thinking it's a COVID thing, okay? They can't bring the rolls out. We don't know how they're going to do it. They're going to be individually wrapped or whatever. We don't know. So we just sit there. We're just kind of like, okay. Well, then finally, uh, not even our waiter, waitress comes up. A waiter comes up and says, did you guys get rolls? We're like, no, we'd love to have rolls. They bring rolls to us. Oh, man, we're indulging in the rolls, man. We, we're happy for a second. And, uh, and then they come out. They take our order. Well, you know, I like to eat cheap, so we're going to split a steak, Right? I'm not even a steak lover. Like, I don't even, like, I'm not, she, Michelle could eat a cow from front to back. I mean, she yeah. loves the, the yeah. red meat. I'm not, I'm not, I'm a chicken guy. I'm a chicken guy because it's a gospel bird. It's the, it's the religious bird. It's whatever, you know, every time you had a dinner on the ground, man, what did they bring? The chicken. The chicken was always there, right? Every church meal. So it's the holy bird. Anyway, uh, I, I, I said, I'll, I'll, I'll split with you, save some money. We'll split some, we'll split the steak and everything like that. So we ordered the steak and and, uh, and we're waiting, and we're waiting, we're waiting. People behind us, though, at the same time, their food's coming out. They're eating like kings and queens over here. The people behind us came in 10 minutes after us. They get their meal like with, before us. And I'm sitting there, and I'm going, okay, what is going on? There is something <laughs> happening, something going on with our steak. They had to literally raise the cow. They had to feed the cow and slaughter the cow. I don't know what's going on, but something's happening. And, uh, and, 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 and finally, I mean, we were like, I mean, now listen, usually Michelle is pushing me to like say something, but she didn't last night. She said she wanted her steak. She was like, I'm going to say something. I want my steak. I want my steak. I'm done. I'm saying something. She's hungry. You know, she's getting hangry right now. And, uh, and I'm sitting there and I'm getting nervous. Like, I'm like, oh boy. You did. You always say nicey. But Michelle is like one, you got to push her so far. And then when she's had it, she's done. She's done, right? Yeah, she's done. She won her steak. So I'm like, oh boy, this poor waitress, she don't know what's coming her way. I'm just joking. No, it wasn't that bad. Anyway. Anyway, thankfully, the Holy Spirit saved us. And the, the manager came up and brought our food to us. Because I know that I saw the waitresses in the corner fetal scared to come to our table I'm just, <laughs> because it had been an hour and 20 minutes we had waited on, on, on our food, an hour and 20 minutes. The manager came over and put the steak down in front of us. And, you know, we're just, our mouths are like salivating. The bread was not doing, not cutting, not doing justice. And, and we didn't say nothing. And they, thank God they said, hey, we're going to take care of this for you tonight. And I'm like, cha-ching, bingo. And then I thought I should have ordered the chicken. I should have ordered the chicken. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then they said, plus, you get to pick any dessert you want. I'm like, hot dog, let's go. Right? It was good. It was good. So I say all that to say, go to Roadhouse. Hopefully they take too long and you get your meal free. And it was wonderful. Didn't complain. I didn't say a word. They probably saw it on our face like, <laughs> I mean, listen, I'm, I'm dwindling down to nothing right there waiting on my food. It was scary times for a moment. I thought I was going to be on Survivor or something like that. <laughs> I'm a candidate for Survivor because I could last a long time on that island. <laughs> In fact, I'd be the first one they say, pork chops, let's go. We're cutting him up. Anyway, um, stand your feet this morning as we read God's Word, talking about complaining. This is a great verse. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. Read along with me. Read out loud. Here's what we're going to say. Let's start with the first couple of words. It says what? Do everything. What does it say? Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a what? Crooked and depraved generation in which what? You shine like the stars in the universe. Father, help us today to live our lives in such a way that when people see us, when they do life with us, when we're in the community, when we're in public, that, God, we can live our life in such a way we're not like the world. We're not don't live like the world or act like the world or behave like the world. But, Lord, we live in this crooked and depraved generation without complaining or arguing with peace so they know we're different in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. keep that up there for a second, Mark says again, do everything. What are we supposed to do? Are we supposed to do one thing or two things or three things? No. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to what? Do everything. 
everything that we do without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation. That way you shine. You look different. My, Michelle and I, even in that context last night, even if we had to say something, we would have said it very graciously. We would not have blamed our waitress at all. We would not have blamed the staff in the back. Something obviously happened with our ticket. We're not, we're not ignorant. We don't think it was a pick on us, like, look at those heifers. They can go without food for a while. <laughs> me. I'm talking to me. It's not her. Me. It's all me. They're not in the back saying that. They're not picketing. They're not plotting on us. They're going to pick out who I'm going to not give their food to. It was, a, it was an innocent thing. So we were going to make sure, no matter what we did, we were going to tip our waitress very well. We were going to take very good care of her. And we were going to be gracious. We weren't going to demand anything. We were going to demand them to give our food to us. We were going to be that way. Because why? We want to be different than what maybe another individual in this world might do because that is who Christ has called us to do. And today, that's what I want to talk to you about. See, in our world, there's always something to complain about, right? We always can find something to complain about, right? Like right now, some of you are complaining about something. I guarantee you the music was too loud. Music was too soft. Worship is like, music is like one of the greatest places that people can use to nitpick and, 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 and judge and say, well, I don't, like, I don't like what they're wearing. Or I don't like that song or that song went too long. Or, I mean, that song's too short. Whatever it is, there's never really a happy medium. So I want to talk about four types there's more. Here's four types of complainers. Four types of complainers. The first one is this, the whiner. Turn to neighbor and say, the whiner. The whiner would be, in the Bible, would be uh, known as King David. King David was a whiner in his time. His, his philosophy, his phrase was, life is not fair. You ever met anybody like this? The whiner. Life is not fair. He gets that. I don't get to do this. And they whine and they whine. Here's what David said in Psalm 73, verse 13. It says, um, have I been wasting my time? Why take all the trouble to be pure? All I get out of it is trouble and woe. Woe is me, God. Why is everybody picking on me? Who was that? Charlie Brown. Charlie Brown syndrome, everybody's against me, it's not fair, I don't deserve it, call the wambulance, because you're a baby, says this in Matthew 20, verse 11, they took their misery and started grumbling against the employer, talking about, uh, talking about the workers, and it says, we put a whole day's work in, they only put a half a day in, they got paid the same as us, it's the whiners of society. You know who they are. You might be one of them. God never said life was going to be fair. Mama always said, daddy always said, life's not fair. Grandma always said, and grandma said it with emphasis with a switch. Life's not fair. You get the switch and your brother doesn't because you did wrong. So I'm scarred by that, but as long as you complain about the facts of life, You'll never be satisfied in life. You'll never be joyful in life. Is it fair that some people get special treatment while you have to work hard to get what you get? No, it's not fair, but life's not fair. Work your best, do your best, put your best foot forward and watch how God blesses you as you keep your head down and you keep yourself and your attitude straight walking with God. Complaining does not work. Second kind of complainer out there is the martyr or the victim. The martyr or the victim. Uh, Moses would be kind of the example here. His favorite verse would be, no one appreciates me. No one recognizes what I do. Numbers 11, uh, 11 through 15, Moses says, Why'd you pick, why do you pick on me? Why pick on me to give me the burden of all the people like this? I can't carry the nation by myself, God. If you're going to treat me like this, please kill me right now. I mean, this guy's serious. It will be a, a kindness to me. Let me out of this impossible situation. I mean, here's Moses been given the greatest task in humanity to free people, millions of people, next to three million people from slavery. And he says, I don't want to be responsible for all these people. They'll never appreciate me. 
They'll never see how good I really am and the good I've done for them. So listen, instead of me going through this, God, just take me now. Moses had a serious victim problem. My kids don't appreciate me. My spouse doesn't appreciate me. My boss does not. Does, do they not see the time and the love I put into this company? Their company, not my company, their company. How dare them? They should just fire me. I'll show them. I'll quit. I'll quit, and then they'll be, they'll be desperate to replace me. This victim mentality is a part of our complaining. Third one is this. We have, we have the whiner. We have the martyr. And the third one, we have the cynic. The cynic would be Solomon. And, and their philosophy, their favorite phrase is, nothing will ever change. Sarah, Sarah, what will be, will be. Nothing's ever going to change. Ecclesiastes, who wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, was Solomon. And here's what he said. He said, life is useless. <laughs> you spend your life working, and what do you have to show for it? The world stays just the same. What has been done before will be done again. The cynic, it's never going to be good enough. There's no hope. There's no reason for tomorrow. You know who you are. You know where they're at. Don't look at them. Don't point. You know where they're at. The fourth one is this. We have the whiner. We have the martyr. We have the cynic. And then finally, number four, we have the perfectionist. The perfectionist, the phrase is, you're doing it wrong. Do it this way. This is the right way. You're missing the mark. Proverbs 27, 15. Ooh. <laughs> a nagging wife is like a water going drip, drip, drip on a rainy day. Hmm. Verse, next verse. Proverbs 21, 19. Better live in the desert than with a nagging, complaining wife. <laughs> Just funny stuff. <laughs> You can tell Proverbs was written by a man, right? <laughs> Let me just, in, in all honestly, say that nagging wife, nagging husband, it goes both ways. Just because he didn't say it in Scripture doesn't mean it doesn't apply. It goes both ways. Nothing's ever right. Nothing's ever perfect. See, nagging Nothing destroys a home quicker than complaining. Nothing destroys relationships faster than complaining. Nothing will bring more dissatisfaction into your heart than when you complain. And, and many times when we complain, it's because we're observing what others have and we want what they have, so we complain that we don't have it. This is why throughout Scripture, uh, the, the, the principle is taught Find contentment and joy where you live. Not in the things that other people have, but in the things that God has blessed you with. So how do we conquer complaining? How do we conquer complaining? Here's the nuts and bolts of how we conquer complaining. The first one is this. The first thing that we need to do, we need to admit that we have a problem with it. Admit that it is a problem. We have to recognize the complaining in our own life. Take an inventory and see what you complain about. What do you complain about? Think about that. What do you complain about? Just, everybody close your eyes for a second. Just, just close your eyes. What is your number one complaint that you have on an ongoing basis? Would it be your, is it your marriage? Is it your job? Is it your kids? Is it your home life? Is it your car? Is it your finances? What is the number one thing? And listen to this verse. A man or woman who refuses to admit his mistakes can never succeed. But if they confess and forsake them, he, they get another chance. Open your eyes. We must admit, admit that we have a problem with complaining. All of us, every single one of us, see something to complain about. Now, let me, let me just kind of 
clean things up for a second. There is complaining. There's complaining. And there is, okay, I'm going to figure out how to say this to where um, it doesn't get twisted, okay? There's complaining, and then there is truth. Now, most people would say, well, my complaint is truth, <laughs> so that's why I'm right. What I'm, what I'm trying to say is complaining are things that are very trivial things, very minute things that you have an opinion about, but it's not absolute truth. For example, you can complain that the weather is not like you like it, but the truth is the weather is sunny and dry. You can complain, I like, well, I want it to be rainy, or I like, I like it when it's wet out. I don't know who is that, but whoever you are, God help you. Uh, I like it wet outside, but the truth is it's not. Okay, do you see the difference? Complaining doesn't change the truth. Truth is absolute. Complaining is maybe your opinion or your observation. My boss treats me bad. Is that truth or is that complaining? How does he treat you bad? How does she treat you bad? And if you say, well, they do this or they do that, the question is, what is the absolute truth? Here's what Scripture says. It says you have to admit that it's a mistake or you'll never find success. Complaining, I would dare to say, even though it's not in the big 12 of sins, the top 10 in Moses' time and Jesus' top two, uh, the 10 commandments that were talked about and the two commandments, the two greatest commandments that Jesus said, even though complaining is not in those 12, the essence of complaining being a sin is definitely one. And, and I would say, maybe not a sin, but it will let, you will miss out on a lot. If you live your life and complain, you're going to miss out on a lot of good things. You're going to miss out on a lot of life. Don't believe me? The children of Israel, here's what they did. They got freed from Israel. They got freed from slavery, from the oppression of everything. They were getting beaten on a daily, not eating right, not getting water when they wanted to. God delivers them into the, going towards the promised land. They get out in the desert, and what do they do? They start complaining against God. They start complaining against Moses, and they start saying, we need food. So what does God do? God brings quail, everyday quail. Do you imagine just dropping at your feet? Pick up and eat the quail. Quail, 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 manna, all these things, water from rocks. I mean, the things that God did in the desert were absolutely amazing, and yet the children of Israel complained. So much so that the children of Israel, that generation, didn't get to go into the promised land. God said, because they have disobeyed and because they have murmured against me, they don't get to enjoy the promised land. The next generation will. So while complaining might not be necessarily a sin, complaining lets us miss out on a lot of beautiful things in this world because we're so focused on the complaints. They murmured against God. First, we must admit it's a problem. Second thing is this. We must accept the responsibility for my own life. We live in a blame you society. There's no blame me. It's blame. It's your fault. 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 I am who I am because my parents screwed me up. I am who I am because of what was done to me as a child. I have no responsibility in my behavior. I have no responsibility in what I do. I get to get excuse free. Nope. Sorry. Ain't true. And I would dare say it starts a lot younger than what we placate to our teenagers about today. Teenagers, parents, if you're not careful, you're teenagers, and I realize that, listen, there's no such thing as a perfect parent. We're all just grown-up kids who were hurt as well, trying to do our best to give the best life for our kids and sometimes we fail at that. That's parents, right? I mean, just being right, being truth. But there came a point in my life I could no longer look to my parents and say, it's your fault I act the way I am. I was raised 
and, and I'm going to be very real with you. I was raised in a home where weight is an issue. Always has been. Struggling with weight, I watched my parents on diets, on diets, after diets, after diets, after diets. I was on diets from the time I was like middle school, you know. I, I always cycle diets. But there just comes a point in my life where I have to understand, it's not my dad's fault, it's not my mom's fault, it's my fault. I'm an adult. I learned this early on. You know why? Because I can't complain, and it's not their fault that I am the way I am. I have to take ownership for it. Here's what Proverbs says. It says, some people ruin themselves by their own stupid mistakes. Yeah. Whoa. What? My own stupid mistakes? No. Dad's stupid mistakes. Mom's stupid mistakes. Not my fault. No, it's your fault. Your stupid mistakes. Teenagers, you do the stupid things you do because you're stupid. <laughs> it's okay. Admit it. Accept responsibility. I'm watching my kids move from teenagehood now in adulthood, and I'm watching them navigate some of these things. And I, man, it it just I just step back, and I it kills me to watch them navigate it. But they gotta learn, and if they make a mistake, it's okay. It won't kill them. It'll teach them, and they'll grow better from it. It says some people ruin themselves by their own stupid mistakes and then blame the Lord <laughs> or blame other people. You reap what you sow. You're in debt. If you're in debt, you're in debt because you put yourself in debt. Hello? Yeah. Mom and dad didn't put you in debt. You got the credit card. You had to have the car. You had to have the, uh, the, the nicest car that was out there, the one that all the ladies would love you on and make you look more handsome. It doesn't change your appearance. You're still ugly. It's okay. Get you a Toyota beat-down car. It's all right. At least it's paid for. This is the thing. You, you, you're in debt because of your decisions. Credit cards that you made and signed up for. You're on the hook for that. So how do you get out? You admit, I made the stupid mistakes and I asked God to forgive me and I, help him, I asked him to help me get out from underneath it. You want friends? I hear people say all the time, such a, so silly. It's a silly, silly statement. So silly. I don't have any friends. Nobody likes me. I might as well have a hunchback and live in Notre Dame. You know, nobody likes me. Nobody, nobody wants to spend time with me. You know what? Take responsibility. To, be, to have friends, you've got to be friendly. You have to talk to people and stop the stupid texting. That's so dumb. Sitting next to them, hey, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing good. Talk. I'm telling you, and, and this is a side note, we are really raising a generation fearful of face-to-face -face conversation. Yes, in my generation, it was called telephonophobia. Yeah. <laughs> telephonophobia, you know? Man, when you didn't have caller ID, you remember the day when you didn't have caller ID, and you picked up and you said hello, and it was someone you didn't want to talk to? Yeah. It was like cricket. It was like... <laughs> I mean, it's like a cycle on the other end of the line because you didn't want to talk to them, man. I mean, telephonophobia. People do that with their phones. You see who's calling? <laughs> do they know I'm, gonna I'm not going to take it? You know? We're raised, unfortunately, raised in a generation where they can't communicate. They can't talk. And parents, can I just say something? We kind of nurture that if we don't let them take care of themselves. Our kids early on, whenever they wanted their burgers a certain way, it didn't matter. I mean, when they were real young... And whenever they didn't have their burgers the right way or their food wasn't the right way, we didn't go talk for them. We said, go up there and complain. No, we said, go up there. <laughs> we said, go on up there and take care of it yourself and say, hey, you know, this wasn't, you know, this was just made my mistake. It was supposed to have, not have mustard or whatever it was. And they learned either to go and do it or eat it. <laughs> that's, all they, that's the only decision they had. See, there are accusers, there are excusers, and there are choosers. Accusers will always point at someone else and say it's their fault. 
Excusers will always excuse away their behavior because of their past, and they're just the way they are because of their upbringing. Whereas choosers choose to own it and change it if they so desire or learn how to live with it. Accusers, excusers, and choosers. We must accept or admit that we have a problem, accept responsibility from our own life. Number three, here's a big one. Develop an attitude of gratitude. Develop an attitude of gratitude. Here's what 1 Thessalonians says. Give thanks in all circumstance, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. In what circumstance are we supposed to give thanks? Give thanks in what? All. Say it again. Give thanks in in all our circumstance, we give thanks to God because why? He is gracious to us. If I develop an attitude of gratitude, I learn that no matter what I face, God's hand and he is for me and he goes with me and he's there for me no matter what I face. I live life in a positive response, not a negative attitude. There are things that habitually you will do, and there are things that I will say, maybe you had a lot inside your home that has kind of rubbed off on it. If you lived in a home full of constant and forever criticism and, and uh, complaining, well, then you'll tend to kind of be that way until God reveals it, and then you say, okay, God, help me to change it. Help me to be different. Help me to have an attitude of gratitude. So when you go to a restaurant and you sit down and you go to eat, you look at what you have in front of you, you realize that other parts of the world have nothing to eat today. The attitude of gratitude is a principle that in America we don't practice so much. In other parts of the world, they're much better at it. We take a drink of water. Oh, oh, tap water. I need it out of a bottle. I remember when bottled water came out. And I thought, that's silly. We're going to pay for water? Oh, but you haven't tasted it. It tastes like water. But I, I, I digress. I, we, we take a drink of water, and we don't like the taste of it, and yet... Other people in other parts of the world will go all day and have a sip or a cup of water. And let me tell you something. It's not pure. It's full of mud. It's full of dirt. It's got all kinds of things in it that you wouldn't want to drink. In fact, if you had put it in a cup in a restaurant, you'd just sit there and look at it and go, I ain't drinking that. What is wrong with you? But they're so appreciative of what they have. We, we complain about the little the food that we get in bountiful amounts whenever in other countries they get nothing for a whole day. They get a cup of rice. The attitude of gratitude, here's how you change it. You recognize how blessed you really are, how blessed we are as Americans, and then we start giving more thanks, and we start saying, I'm not going to complain about what I have because there's others who have less or none at all. Attitude of gratitude. Nothing will kill your joy quicker in your life than whenever you become discontent and you lose your attitude of gratitude. Uh, Paul said it this way, and we're going to study this next couple weeks. Psalm 411 says, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I've learned it. How did Paul learn it? Paul learned it because Paul had plenty and Paul had nothing. Paul was well-fed and Paul was starving for his life. Paul was in chains and Paul was free. Paul was beaten and Paul was healed. Paul had the extremities, the extremes going on in his life of the have and the have not. And he learned to be content no matter what it came his way. Number four, look to God's hand in all circumstances. Second Corinthians says it this way, 4.17 through 18. It says, this small and temporary trouble we suffer, uh, will bring us tremendous and eternal glory, much greater than the trouble. So what do we do? What do we do? Where do we fix? We fix our what? Our attention. Another scripture says we fix our eyes. We fix our attention. We fix our eyes. Not on the things that are what? Not on the things that are seen, but on the things that are unseen. What is seen only lasts a short time, but what we cannot see lasts forever. 
Hmm. COVID are the things that are seen here and now. But COVID is not eternal. Hello? It's not eternal. The things that we watch on the news, the things that we consume our hearts and our troubles by in life, they will change. But one thing remains the same. Our God is faithful. And our God is true. And our God, no matter what we face, he has a steady constant that you can hold on to no matter what you face. When the phone rings and you pick it up and there's a doctor's report and he tells you a terminal illness that you only have six weeks to live. So we fix our eyes and our hearts and our attentions and our attitudes on the things that are not, not on the things that are seen, but on the things that are unseen. Because those are the things that are in God's hands no matter what. Complaining stirs rebellion inside of us, while gratitude and knowing that God's in charge stirs a heart of joy and appreciation before God. See, when I question God, or whenever I, um, I, I, I look at the things around me, I'm questioning God's wisdom. I'm doubting God's care, or I'm forgetting God's goodness. When I complain, I'm questioning God's wisdom, or I'm, I'm doubting God that God cares for me, or I'm forgetting that God is a good God, and he will walk with me through the circumstance I'm facing. Admit you have a problem. Accept responsibility. Develop an attitude of gratitude. Look for God's hand in your situation. And number five, the final one is this. Practice speaking positively. <laughs> this is a hard one for many of you and for me. Positive speech. Complaining is a habit so is positive speech. Ephesians 4.29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth except for that which is helpful for building others up. And why? So that it may benefit those who listen. So you can talk about a steak that comes out and it's cold in a way that's positive. Hey, listen, some people like their steaks cold. I really don't prefer that. Can I get it warmed up a little bit? If it's too raw, some people like it tartar. I don't like it that way. Can I get it cooked a little longer? We learn to be positive in our lives. Ephesians 6, 4. Don't keep scolding or nagging your children, making them angry and resentful. Rather, bring them up in the love and discipline and godly advice. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that it may benefit those who listen around you. Father, help us today. Complaining is uh, it's a sneaky, tricky attack. It's something that, God, I think we kind of fall into really easily and we don't even recognize we're in the middle of it. So Lord, would you help us? Help us admit that we may have a problem with complaining, accept responsibility for our lives, develop an attitude of gratitude. God, would you, would you help us recognize your hand in the situations, even the bad ones that we face? And then God, would you teach us how to speak positively, even in the most negative places? Because God, I believe the church in our day and world in which we live, we should look different. We should talk different. We should speak positive. Even in a world full of negative, in a world full of chaos, in a world full of, of unsettledness and uneasiness, God. In a world where they're trying to tell us to pick a side. Lord, may we consult who you are. And we don't stand on sides. We stand with you. 
Not opinion. Truth. So God, when your word, when your word says wrong is wrong, then God, we stand on the truth found in your word, regardless of what culture says. Regardless of this this culture that's trying to sway and change us and trying to say, think this way. And if you think this way, if you don't think the way I think, then you're wrong and, and, and you're, you're this or you're that, God. May we stand boldly and say, no, no, no. Listen, take it up with God. That's what his word says. I stand here, not in my words, but in your words, God. That's the true freedom that we have in you. God, I pray that every head bowed and every eye closed. You struggle with complaining. You struggle with never being good enough. God wants you to know he has free life for you overcoming life and as we sing this song just want you in your own way just to ask God to help you with that ask God to help you monitor it admit it, accept it gratitude see his hand in things and be positive in your speech just let these words speak to you about what he wants for your life responsibility for our own life, own who we are, and allow you to change us. God, we thank you so much for your goodness. We thank you that you're with us no matter what we're going through in life. You are our victory. You are our victory. You are the one who will guide us through. Before we go today, head bowed, eyes closed. Today you're here. unworthy feel like you don't deserve the love of God maybe you even feel like how could God ever love who I am just want you to know today God not only loves who you are but he'll love who he's going to create you to be he sees in you a future that you, you can walk away from, but He will always believe for you. He is for you. He is for you. He is for you. He is for you. No matter what your past, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, He is for you today. He will walk with you through the hardest of times. He will stand with you no matter what life faces. He will walk with you Whenever the doctor's report comes in, he will walk with you. Whenever you feel like you've abandoned and let down everybody in your life, he will be there for you because he is for you. And if God is for you, then no one or nothing can be against you. He is for you today. He is for you. And I don't know who this is for today, but hear these words. God is for you. And all he wants you to do is cry out. And say, I need you in my life, God. 
I need you to change me from the inside out. I need you, God, to heal my brokenness. I need you, God, to do what only I know you can do. If that's you today, bow your heads. Father, touch them. You are for them. You are for them. Let them know they are not alone. Let them know that God Though the world may count them out, (laughs) you never do. For you are for them. And if God, you are for them, then no one can be against them. We thank you, God, that you are for us. He is for you. 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 listening to a ministry of Crossview Church in Keokuk, Iowa with Pastor Kevin Hardcastle. For more information about service times and activities, visit our website, crossviewkeokuk.com. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner.